fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Falcoholic Lives Falcons Q&A session with our beloved patrons, the most beautiful Falcons fans, the most supportive Falcons fans on the internet. Thank you guys so much for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, the March edition of our show. Uh, I am Kevin Knight, your host at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a suite of guests, including a special secret guest who appeared uh, out of thin air and didn't even tell me he didn't even tell me he was coming. So that's how secret he is. Uh, but we'll get to him in a second. First of all, you know him, the boss man himself, Dave Choate at the Falcoholic. Dave, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Terrific, terrific stuff. Glad to have you. Uh, I hope hope that the ankle is healing. Uh, you know, uh, the moose hopefully have have behaved because I know you can't get out there and, and discipline them as you usually do. But yeah, it's been it's been tricky. But you know, I uh, I look forward to resuming my moose wrangling soon. So yes. it'll be good. I know it's one of your favorite pastimes. So uh, speaking my speaking of favorite, yeah. <laughs> yes, speaking of favorite pastimes, we have with us uh, noted Hawks fan, suffering Hawks fan, perhaps Adnan Ikic, uh at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are you doing? Uh, very good. We've been very mid this season. Yeah, We're very. They still five hundred. Yeah. Uh, a game under five hundred. A oh, chance okay. to get back five hundred tomorrow. Okay. Um, okay. Well, could be yeah, worse. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was mentioning it to the guys. <clears throat> My apologies if I don't sound a hundred percent. The pollen here in Georgia is absolutely destroying me right now. So yeah. you know, we we move though. We tr- we try. We're gonna we're gonna push through. Uh, that was me last week. I had to take a bunch of stuff after I had been traveling. Um, and I also had to push push through. So we're working on it, folks. And, of course, our special secret guest tonight, he is Evan Birchfield at Evan Birchfield on the Twitters. Evan, Director of Guest Personnel, welcome back. How are you doing? Good. I, I feel like you hyped me up a little too much. Um, they were probably <laughs> expecting, like, someone good. But it's me. Um, You're very good. Don't put so, yourself yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, maybe a player or something, but it's just Evan. Um, yeah, but no, special I'm guest. happy to be on here. The special guest was actually Lamar Jackson. He yeah, was exclusively Lamar, yeah, yeah. He's coming yeah, to negotiate came up. live on the program. Yeah, <laughs> the probably wilder things have happened. Uh, I'm sure we will get plenty of Lamar I'm questions. If we asked him, he might. He might. Yeah. It seems like he has sure, plenty of so. time. So yeah. <laughs> well, I, speaking you know, of Evan, a, maybe get on that. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send out some feelers. Yeah. Work the sources, yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's uh, glad to have the crew here. Glad to have all of the patrons here as well, guys. Uh, for This is, I guess, the first show since officially the podcast has changed to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. It's officially owned and operated by us now, um, which is cool. But it also means that we're no longer being compensated by Vox for it. So I just really want to... Uh, express my appreciation for the patrons uh, because your support is making it much easier uh, in the interim while we're working on setting up advertising and things like that. Uh, having you guys backing us up, really valuable. We really appreciate it. Just wanted to uh, lead off with that. Uh, you guys have been around since the early days on Facebook Live uh, and and many of you have, have stuck around all this time. So we really do appreciate that. So thank you guys. Uh, and as, as a gift of thanks, uh, we will be doing, among other giveaways, a special patron giveaway as well during the draft party. Uh, so you guys can, I'm just going to hint to that here, uh, sponsored by yours truly, George Costanza, by the way. 
Uh, so we will give you more when details. Does he on go that. Into, when does he go into the uh, show's official Hall of Fame? I mean, he's already in the to, Hall of Fame. We need to get the bust. But we need to up. have like a ceremony and stuff. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, no, that he, he we got to fit him for his jacket. Um, no one's right. ever seen George Costanza. I I just imagine him as George Costanza from Seinfeld. So we'll just you know we'll go ahead and, and work with those specifications, and then <laughs> we can make some some edits if we need to. But uh, yeah, there will be a patron exclusive giveaway going on during the draft party. Um, that I'm excited to share more details about as we get closer to time. Just wanted to, to tease that right off the bat. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into the Q&A. We have plenty of questions coming in. I do uh, want to get to the ones in the chat first. Uh, George, of course, wants to know what you're drinking, Adnan, right off the top. Uh, right now, nothing. So I am Muslim. It is Ramadan right now. So right. until 7.54 tonight, I think, 7.52. Uh, I cannot eat or drink anything. So tonight I'll have a lemonade in your honor, though, George. So right. uh, until then, until then, I am very, I am dry right now. I'll yeah, parched. So it's, you got the pollen and you can't eat or drink. So you're just really Ooh, gutting it out tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm fighting demons. Right <laughs> fighting the demons, something like that. Okay. Well, we do appreciate Adnan's uh, diligence in coming on the show in such a state. Uh, and yes, I am working with a uh, a new concoction. Uh, it's uh, I'm calling it a mountain beer, a mountain berry mule, uh, with the uh, 44 North Huckleberry vodka, which is delicious, by the way. Uh, some ginger beer and some cranberry juice as well. So uh, that's what I'm rocking with. Dave, you got any crafts on tap tonight? Yeah, I got a uh, smutty nose IPA. I, I uh-huh. picked it up at the local beer store. Uh, four of them for three dollars. So I Ooh. once again could not resist a bargain. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. that's that's fantastic. I'm, I'm that's jealous. That's a little bad energy for, from you, Dave. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always. Always. Always lately. Always. But uh, yeah, guys, uh, let's let's get into some football related questions. Uh, so first off, we have Mad Tom K right off the top uh, asking, "Who's a player you discovered at the Senior Bowl or Shrine Bowl that you want the most for the Falcons?" I believe. I was the only one actually there of all of us, so I can give my takes. I know we've like heard a lot of reports, so if anybody else wants to add another person, that's cool too. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, there's a couple guys from the senior ball. I'll just highlight real quick. I really liked like Ade Adebare um, from Northwestern, who is getting like enormous hype now after his combine workout, which, by the way, tested out better than Trayvon Walker, uh, despite weighing 10 pounds more. He's not as tall. But, um, you know, pretty incredible stuff there. Um, really liked what I saw from Ty J. Spears, the Tulane running back. Chase Brown, the Illinois running back. Um, I also really liked uh, a couple guys like Isaiah Foskey and Will McDonald IV and uh, Ivan Pace Jr., the linebacker from Cincinnati. Diane Henley. I mean, I could probably go on for a long time, but those are definitely guys that, that rose up my personal board. You know, Jaden Reed, the wide receiver from Michigan State who the Falcons just met with. Um, so those are some of my names. I don't know if anybody else had other names that they were high on that they heard buzz about from the Senior Bowl or anything else. But nope. Nobody in particular for me. I know, like, I heard they were really – I wasn't at the Shrine Bowl, but I heard they were really in on, like, Kytrell Clark from uh, Louisville, I think, the, the corner – um, I do wonder if, like, the Mike Hughes signing maybe takes him out of the running there because I think he's probably, like, a slot guy. But um, by all um, accounts, they were interested in him, too. Yeah, go ahead, Anna. 
I mean, uh, I mentioned it before leading up to the senior bowl, the Princeton wide receiver, right? What what was his name? Oh, uh, yeah, Yosevis, yeah. Iosevis, like, I, I don't know how to, like... I think it's that, Yosevis. That that's what everyone was saying at the senior bowl. Now, everyone could also the, be wrong, but that's what I'm going with. Yeah, the, the super fast guy of... <clears throat> The team, uh, unless they bring back Demir Bird, which I mean, I'd be completely okay with. Um, he seems like the type that could really take the top off the of defense. And if they do like Demir Bird go, they still need that type of player for uh, for this uh, wide receiver depth chart, especially given the fact that Arthur Smith does love dialing up those uh, those deep shots here and there. We saw it to a fault with Mariota, so I have no reason to believe why it won't happen again this coming season. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And they haven't really made a lot of moves at wide receiver outside of Mac Hollins. So it does, I mean, I think it's pretty strongly hinting that the draft is where they're targeting at least one wide receiver. Obviously, we'll see if they make another addition. I mean, me personally, I think they're waiting to see what happens with Corey Davis. I think they'll probably sign him if he gets cut. I don't think they're going to trade for him or anything like that. But I also don't think the Jets are going to keep him. And I would be surprised if the Packers were wanting to trade for that salary. You know, he's making over $10 million. Um, So I think they're waiting out the Corey Davis thing and then probably going to draft somebody also. So we'll see. Um, all right. <laughs> George says we need to donate to get Evan uh, a, a ring light as well so he's not the man in the dark, you know. Well, not everyone can have the whole studio set up, you know, George. So sometimes, you know, the director of guest personnel needs to invest in his network of contacts, Uh you know, and, and the, you know, being in the darkness, that's just how he works sometimes yeah. because he has, he has I, to be an know, anonymous source. Yeah. Of everyone I know, I don't know any light people. So, I mean, that's the problem. That's the one weakness that we have right now. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll get yeah. right on that though, George. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Moving on to another one. Uh, this one from Dylan Spires. Um, legitimate question here thank you dylan uh i know there was a big emphasis on inside outside players on the defensive line in previous years i think there are definitely some players that can fit in that role in this draft class such as jalen carter um is that yeah is that something that we will be interested in again this year i believe is what you're trying to ask um and yeah i think that there's a pretty good chance of that right because ryan if ryan nielsen has similar preferences to what the saints have in new orleans we don't necessarily know that he's going to want to do exactly that because he might have his own ideas. But um, Cam Jordan, obviously, very famous inside-outside player, plays end on base downs and then kicks inside. Dan Quinn loved that type of player as well. We didn't really see the Falcons go after that type of player with Dean Pease here, but I think they could definitely pursue someone like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you look at guys like we are, I already mentioned Adeboire, from uh, Northwestern, he's an inside-outside guy, played edge in college, probably going to play more on the inside in the NFL. Um, you've got guys like Tuli uh, Tupulatu uh, from USC, another similar big end who can play uh, kick inside on passing downs. Um, and yes, I, I do think that they're looking for that type of guy. I don't think they really have one on the roster right now. Um you know, yeah, and Mad Tom K mentions Adrian Claiborne, another good example of a player like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something they could like, uh, they could they could pursue. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think uh, them getting a potential inside outside guys high up the list? It would seem to be to me. Um, you know, I, I think even Caden Ellis, who's you know 
probably going to be outside linebacker versus inside linebacker, depending on what they want to do with him. Like, I think there's going to be an emphasis on moving guys around um, just based on who they already have and, and who they're looking at getting. You know, if they signed Campbell, um, if that actually comes through, if you draft a, a guy with that talent, like, I think they can do some interesting things up front. And I think that's what they would like to do. Um, and I, I think I speak for all of us when I say interesting things up front would be more than the Falcons have given us in five years. So let's see it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree there. Uh, lots of room, I think, for upgrades on the front. Um, yeah, and I do think that getting that type of big end is something they, they don't really have. I mean, they did sign Amani Bledsoe, who is sort of similar to that, more of like a depth option. But And then they just signed uh, Joe Joe. Guys, Graziano, was that it? I, I forget the last name. I think it's Gaziano. Gaziano. Yeah, I kept yeah. wanting to be like Tony Graziano. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was it. thinking. Yeah. Gaziano, no. It is Gaziano, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think he could also be that. I think he played more like inside, like a 3 4 defensive end for the Chargers. Um, and Chargers fans apparently are pretty high on him. They thought he didn't really get a fair shot. Um, so he could be more interesting too. But I do think like. I, I feel like they're more likely to target that type of player in the draft than like another Arnold Ibikati sort of guy, um, which is why I really like Tuli Tupalatu. I like Adebar if he's there, um, that that sort of type of player, or like a bigger end like a KJ Henry later. Um, so yeah, I do think um, that is something that they will tar- they will value and, and target highly. Uh, I as do we get- think it should be noted though from. All reports, and we got it directly from uh, Josh Kendall uh, over at the Athletic, the Falcons beat reporter. It does not seem like the Falcons are really in on Jalen Carter himself. So I think that that's something where I would be prepared for the Falcons to pass on Carter at eight, given the off-field stuff. And I would also prepare for Falcons Twitter to get into a civil war over that. The second <laughs> half. Yeah. It's going to be brutal. I'll be on the, uh, on him. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. yeah, I'll be on the UGA side with that one um, because I, I don't really understand it. Like, I, I know, I know, I guess, the off-the-field concerns, but I also think, you know, it's a guy who, who made a mistake and, like, especially, you know, his performance at the uh, – his work out there, you know, to me that speaks pretty clearly to a guy who's been through a lot. So, so to me, it, it's – it seems like one of those things that's, that's overblown. You know what kind of talent he is. You know, if you, you trust your, your culture and your locker room, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I will still believe it when I see it with all these teams passing on Carter. Like, if he falls it out of the top, smoke. I'll still be shocked. It could be smoke. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I I would like to see the team get Carter just because he would be – he'll probably be VPA at that point, right, at eight. Like, it'll be him yeah. or Bijan, and, I mean, I wouldn't – it depends on your preference, but I think Carter, I would even put Carter above Robinson as just a pure player. But I do want to say that was such a, a blunder by his agent for even letting him do that pro day. Like it was clear that he was not ready. And like at that point, I like you have to make up some injury excuse to just get him out of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I suspect that Carter like really wanted to do it. Like he just wanted to get back to doing what he does, which is, being a professional football player and uh you know 
probably wasn't the best idea, but um, I don't necessarily blame Carter for wanting to go out there and get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, and, and we're not going to comment on the character concerns, if they're real or not, because we're not that plugged in. We haven't met with him. We don't know the details. Uh, we won't pretend to, like some. Um, so, you know, either he will pass the Falcon's character concerns. Fontenot talks a lot about getting the right makeup, like it's very important to him. So either Carter checks those boxes or he doesn't. Um, we won't know that up until the actual draft, but... I've said this on the pod and on the live show before that I think that if the character stuff with Carter is no big deal, then he's going to go to the Seahawks. Um, and if it is a big deal, then the Seahawks will pass and then probably a lot of other teams will pass. So, you know, and, and also the Lions, I think, are sitting right there and could really use Jalen Carter as well. So I think if he falls past those two teams, there's probably more to it than we realize or at least there's some level of concern and you know, well, it's probably something that the Falcons are also going to pass on, but we don't know. I know Josh Kendall did sort of quasi walk back his, his statement and say that it was just his opinion. But I, I think that that was probably a little bit more than his opinion. And, you know, maybe Falcons didn't necessarily want that to be that obvious. Um, but it's also early. Like we still got a month roughly until the draft, almost exactly a month actually. Um, and, this is like going to be the low point of Carter's stock right now. He just had the stuff come out that blew up his combine. Then he had the bad pro day. We've got a whole month for everyone to remember that Carter might be the most talented player in the entire draft. So, you know, like we, we've still got time uh, to get there <laughs> potentially. So um, I think that Carter's stock is going to rebound. And by the time we actually go into the draft that he's going to be a, a top six lock once again, and we're just not, even going to have to have the question of whether he'll be in Atlanta as, as much as I would from a talent perspective, absolutely love the pick. Like he would be number one on my board by far um, in terms of the guys that are likely to be there. Um, you know, I think if you want to argue between him and Will Anderson, that's a pretty interesting argument, but um, it, yeah, I, I really don't think it's going to be an option for Atlanta uh, for multiple reasons. Mostly that he's probably not going to be there. Um, all right. Uh, next question. This is from Ryan on the Discord. Uh, thanks for the question, Ryan. Appreciate that. He says, why would the Falcons take Bijan Robinson at eight if running back isn't their biggest need? It seems like we have a lot of other positions to address unless the team is just that big of a fan. I don't know why we would go there at eight. Or is it that there's that big of a drop-off between him and everyone else? Yeah, this is a question that we have addressed on the live show. Um, but yeah, I mean, Adnan, I know you're a pretty big Bijan supporter as well. I don't know if you want to take a shot at this first, or yeah, I wouldn't say it's that it was a it's a huge drop off. I think it would be the team has proven in the last two years that they don't really care, nor should they right now, about straight positional value outside of let's say quarterback. Uh, I don't think that the Falcons right now are in that contender status where, you know, you're one piece away or you're one positional piece away. Like if this team was one pass rusher away from legitimately being a Super Bowl contender or one quarterback away or one corner or whatever, I think that would be different. But right now, Fontenot's philosophy in the first round has been absolutely BPA. The team 
had as many holes as you can think of two years ago. And they went with a tight end at number four overall, a tight end. They went with a wide receiver last year at number eight overall, despite the fact that they had holes everywhere on defense. With B. John Robinson, I don't think you can really look at him as a pure, just straight up a pure running back, the same way the team didn't look at Kyle Pitts as your traditional tight end. Bijan as a slot wide receiver would likely maybe even be a late first rounder just as a wide receiver this year in this year's draft. His skill set is so dynamic and it's so it, it's legitimately like getting another Christian McCaffrey. Like if I were to tell you right now you are getting Christian McCaffrey at age what 23 at pick number 8 would you do it? I'm pretty sure most of the fan base would say hell yeah. The only difference is Biajon, like, you know, McCaffrey's done it, and this is where the evaluation comes into play. But the team really likes BPA, and it's not really that it's a drop-off. It's just that Robinson is a lot, so much better than everyone else, like, at the very least, that will be available at eight. It's not that the other prospects are bad. It's just that, this is a top three player in this draft talent-wise. And don't be surprised if Fontenot and Arthur Smith say, yeah, we're going with the best possible player because that's what they've done each of the last two years. And it won't be, uh, oh, it's Bijan versus Tyler Algier. It'll be, a, it's Bijan and Tyler Algier turning this offense into one of the most potent units, skill position-wise, that you can think of because Arthur Smith is going to deploy these guys out there at the same time and he's going to get creative with it and i know that he probably would love to get his hands on such a talent because i'm robinson running back wise i think i think it would be fair to say that since mccaffrey since todd Gurley, maybe this is the top running back prospect and it's it's wrong if you're just looking at him as a pure running back i'm not saying that oh yeah it's Bijan or bus but i'm saying if the falcons do pull the trigger at eight it's not a bad pick. It's not a bad pick by any means. Yeah. I, to me, with the first round pick specifically, um, you need to make sure you get a good player. Like, period. Like, if you miss on first round picks, that's how you fail as a team. Um, everybody misses sometimes, but you need to hit on like 75% of your first round picks. Um, so the easiest way to hit on your first round picks is to just take the best player and not try to look for somebody to fit a specific need. And I personally would have Bijan as probably like my number two or number three player. I haven't fully decided yet, but I mean, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson are probably one and two, and then maybe Bijan is three. So, I mean, uh, it's hard to argue against that type of talent. I think calling him a running back is sort of, not really fair in terms of assessing his overall value because Bijan is a really special receiver. Pop on his tape, watch him catch the ball. He's incredibly natural. He's a nuanced route runner, which is rare for a running back coming out of college. This is a guy that can line up and play slot receiver, I think, in the NFL. Um, You can just tell. He's the full package. He is a feature back, and that is becoming rarer and rarer to find in the NFL. Um... And this is not any slander meant towards Tyler Algier, but Tyler Algier is not that caliber of player. Tyler Algier is a good running back. 
who's running behind a very good uh, uh, run-blocking offensive line. And that's not meant as a slight to him. I think Algier is a perfectly good starting running back in the NFL, but he's not going to give you Bijan Robinson-level play. And for a team like Atlanta, who emphasizes the run game as much or more than any other team in the NFL— a dynamic starting running back, an elite running back, can really change the entire outcome of your team, of your offense. Whereas Algier, I think, is a really good volume runner. He's a guy that's going to grind down a defense and just play. And he's going to do a great job. If he had to start, I wouldn't have any reservations. But he doesn't He doesn't threaten like Bijan would threaten on every single carry. You know, you look at some of the holes that the Falcons opened up for Tyler Algier that were 20-yard runs, and that's great. Those are touchdowns for Bijan Robinson, and that raises the ceiling of your rushing attack a lot more. Um, and there are other good running backs in this class, like there are, but none of them are on the level of Bijan or close to it um, in terms of the whole package. Bijan doesn't—you're not limited in anything— with Bijan, you can play Bijan in the pistol. You can rotate him out to slot receiver. I mean, in some ways, he's like the perfect Quarterell Patterson replacement because he's someone that can also rotate out to play receiver like Patterson could, um, and and offer you that. But in a you know a younger, more even more explosive potentially package, um, and and just he's just a really 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 elite player. He's a blue chip prospect, and there's just not going to be many of those guys available at eight. There might be an offensive lineman there. There might be a cornerback there. But Bijan is going to be there, and he'll be one of the blue-chip guys that's left. So it's not. I'm not going to be upset if they take a blue-chip player at 8. I would be upset if they go for like a Lucas Van Ness or a Miles Murphy. Those are projects, um, and they have high-end ceilings. But for everyone clamoring for the Falcons to fix the pass rush— Lucas Van Ness or Miles Murphy, they're, they're not really, like, this is not going to transform your pass rush this year. They're going to be a piece in the puzzle, but they're probably going to have closer to, like, an Arnold Ebicady sort of performance this year. And I think people just think if you take this guy at eight that he's going to transform your defense. Like, it, it's going to take time. There's no slam dunk guy. I mean, maybe if Jalen Carter's there, right, that's, that's a different story. But, you know, these guys are not slam dunk going to change the, the complexion of your defense overnight type of players. Bijan is, and I, I think you could make a firm argument that Bijan would move the needle, so to speak, of the Falcons offense more than any other player would in, in 2023, 2024, over the length of his rookie contract, whatever. Um, and the sad truth is that running backs get hurt a lot. You need to have multiple good ones if you're going to lean on the running game to that extent. I mean, look at the 49ers. They had this stacked running back room with like Elijah Mitchell and all these guys. They went down really fast. They had to trade for Christian McCaffrey to keep that running game afloat. And they had depth. It's just, you have to have a lot of good players. You can't just rely on one good starter at running back. I know everyone wants to, you know, paper over the position and pretend like you can have anyone back there and have a functional running game. And you can, but you can't have a great running game with just anybody back there. And teams are moving toward the running back by committee. Like, there's so – and if you play fantasy football, like, consistently, you'll know that there's far fewer bell cow running backs now than there were a decade ago or five years ago. Like, I think you could name them off on, like, one hand. Like, you have Derrick Henry, 
You have Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there. I'm sure there's a couple more. Maybe McCaffrey seat. still. Like. Yeah. But even San Francisco was deploying that running back by committee, but they were lining McCaffrey up out wide as well. So it's yeah. like, unless you, I, I don't know, like Algier is not going to be your bell cow running back. Like he does not fit that mold. He will not be, he will not be the guy that you give the ball to the way that you gave it to Michael Turner back in the day. Um, and right now Atlanta's running back depth chart is Algier. Cordero Patterson, who has broken down each of the last two seasons uh, down the stretch, who I would much rather you actually, like, you know, rotate around. And you have Caleb Huntley, who's going to miss most of the season. So, I mean, put slot Bijan back there, and it is going to be, I I think your run game is set. You have that great, like, two-headed monster in the chat. The chat mentioned Austin Eckler as yeah, well. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, uh, he, he is. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Kenneth Walker one just yet because uh, Dylan, because uh, Kenneth Walker only got those carries after Penny got hurt. So I, even the Seahawks are deploying that running back like <laughs> maybe. Yeah, no, it's. We've talked about it. And we'll continue to talk about it because it is a fascinating conversation, and I think that people who say that running back isn't the biggest need. Yeah. People that say that running back isn't the biggest need are absolutely correct. It's not the biggest need, but you know, that doesn't mean they're not going to take it. Like you shouldn't reach for Lucas Van Ness or miles Murphy at eight over a blue chip player. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Bijan. I mean, to me, I would have, you know, Christian Gonzalez there. Uh, I would have Paris Johnson jr. And Peter Skaronsky in that, in that category as well. Um, obviously Jalen Carter, if he falls, but Bijan will be there. We know how this team prioritizes getting those sort of unicorn type pieces on offense. They did it with Kyle Pitts. They did it with Drake London. They don't care about positional value. They don't, they really, really don't. I'm trying to make that clear to you guys. They've told us and shown us multiple times that they will take whoever they like the best. And that's going to sort of lead us into another question that is sort of timely, which is, um, outside from Daryl Moore, by the way, uh, at with pick eight, if we do go BPA, do you really think if Bijan and Gonzalez are gone, that Nolan Smith would then be the highest player on the Falcons board, and who would you comp him to? And the Nolan Smith thing is really interesting to me. Like me personally, I wouldn't have him that high. Um, but I know that the NFL has him much higher than the draft media typically does. The reason being. His football character is just off the charts. I mean, Nolan Smith is just known as this, like, grinder, like, just infectious personality, loves the game, eats, breathes, sleeps football, will do anything for the team. And and NFL teams just love that. And I know Terry Fonstow and this crew love that. He tested off the charts as, like, a completely elite, one of like, almost one-of-a-kind athlete. And the I, I can tell you that the buzz with the Falcons being interested in Nolan Smith is real. Um, I, I don't know, like, if he's actually going to be the pick at eight, but they do like him probably enough to con- to strongly consider him there. Um, so do will they actually take him, you know, above Christian Gonzalez or Bijan Robinson? I don't know. Um, I do think he's on the table. And my sort of thought is that they view him as, like, a versatile off-ball slash edge rush type player like a Micah Parsons that's going to completely sort of change the complexion of your defense and you can move him around. Um, You know, is he that type of player? 
I think comparing anyone to Micah Parsons is a tall order. Uh, but if he could be like, you know, something similar to that, you would be, that would be well worth the eighth overall pick. Um, the question is like, he's never really played off ball linebacker, so he's going to have to learn that. And like, he's quite small for an NFL edge rusher. So what do you do with that? So, um, I think that he is a legitimate option at eight. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I don't know if anybody else has Nolan Smith takes, but I mean, I was a little shocked when I first heard that he was in consideration at eight, but it, it apparently is legit. So take, take that with whatever, you know, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, obviously, because you never know how much is like smokescreen season and how much is like the truth, but the buzz is, is legitimate. So, all right. No one else is going to wade into the Nolan Smith uh, cesspool, so oh. we're going <laughs> to. The thumb was very impressive. Yeah, that the fourth was four three eight. Yeah, and I mean oh, it was absolutely. really cool seeing his uh, his teammates all like get hype over him. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a hell of a video. I don't know. Not to go back to the B John thing, yeah, but yeah, go for um, it. also you know mentioning you know with having Algier and as I mentioned the depth chart. Um, we've seen in the past where teams didn't need a running back, like one of those, you know, star running backs was coming out where it was like, yeah, you know, they're, they're a can't miss, like they're going to hit. Um, and teams took them anyways, like uh, the Titans. I can't remember what year it was, but they had, they traded for DeMarco Murray, who at the time was like a good running back. Um, and then they took Derrick Henry. Uh, and I think they had like a third or fourth round pick for Murray um, from the Eagles. So like, they weren't just, okay, we got Murray, we're good. Like, they knew Derrick Henry was going to be good, so they took him. Um, there's been other times, uh, the Vikings, a long time ago, um, they had Chester Taylor, um, who was okay, but he, he had, like, 1,200 yards or something um, uh, for the Vikings, and then they took Adrian Peterson at, like, pick six or seven or something around there because they knew he was going to be good. Like, if you know the, the running back is going to be amazing, I mean – you could argue, you know, and I think that's a separate issue, but like how much of an impact are the running backs going to have to getting you a Super Bowl? I mean, neither of those teams have hit that yet. And the Vikings obviously did him with Peterson, but I don't think that's like his fault. He was, yeah. you know, turned out to be their best running back ever. Titans, um, you know, they've had like Eddie George and Chris Johnson, but Derrick Henry, I mean, he's King Henry. He's up there. Um, so like, if you know, they're going to be, a, you know, top, eight running back and I think B. John's got that talent and in my opinion you take him but um as Adnan and Kevin was pointing out it is a running back by committee league and having you know uh, it's not like all of a sudden uh Algier is going to just be a nobody like they would still find ways to use him um even if they could you know have both of them out there so yeah I don't think it's that crazy yeah and the so add to your point about the Derrick Henry thing, they didn't win a Super Bowl, sure, but they got to the doorstep of making one mm-hmm. specifically because of Derrick Henry. Like that that offense was purely all Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill was just trying not to get in the way. Mm-hmm. He had like a playoff win where he had less than a hundred passing yards. And the reason why that's important to point out is the offensive coordinator was Arthur Smith. So he already has that experience behind, you know, pretty much tailoring his offense to be carried by uh, a superstar running back. And Henry at the time was the best running back in the game. Uh, and right now you have a quarterback who 
I mean, for as much as we're rooting for Desmond Ritter, we do not know if he's that Super Bowl caliber quarterback that's going to carry you to the promised land, or if he'll even be as good as Ryan Tannehill was that year for for the Titans. Um, honestly, I think Gonzalez out of Oregon, the cornerback, I think other than Jalen Carter falling, I think that would be the only defensive player I'd be okay with taking at eight. I just don't see, like Kevin was saying, like I don't like forcing a pass rusher when you have, you know, just because you need a pass rusher when you have other players who are, you know, much better on the board. Like I would much rather have a Skoronsky than Nolan Smith. I would much rather have, you know, Gonzalez. Uh, I'd rather have Bijan over Van Ness or over Murphy. Like, don't we're not we're not in a position where we need to be forcing uh, specific positions. This team is in talent acquisition mode, and even if it wasn't, I I'm of the sound philosophy in the first round that you take the best player available in the first round, and then you can fill the positions in the later rounds. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And a lot of people like to evaluate team building on from the lens of did it win a Super Bowl? And like, obviously that makes sense, right? Because that's the ultimate goal. But what I would stress for people to keep in mind is only one team out of 32 wins the Super Bowl. And there's a lot of other teams that could have won the Super Bowl in that group. Just winning the Super Bowl is not the measure of a very good or even great team. It's way more luck than anyone would ever imagine. There's injuries. There's like in-season drama. There's just the ball bouncing in random directions, right? I mean, the Falcons probably could have made it back to the NFC Championship in 2017 if the ball doesn't ricochet off Keanu Neal's knee and right into the hand of like an Eagles receiver, which is maybe the most unlikely thing that I've ever seen happen on an NFL field. But that's football. Yeah, That would have been a pick six. I'm still convinced. But that's football. So does that mean that the Falcons were a bad, that that team couldn't have won the Super Bowl because they lost that playoff game? No. You should evaluate team building on the premise of, does it get you to the playoffs first? And two, does it win playoff games every year? Or can it win playoff games every year? Actually making the Super Bowl, that's the goal. But if you're just evaluating through that lens, I think you're sort of like letting the like like really selling out for something that you really just have to luck into. And I think the best way to win a Super Bowl is to be really lucky, first of all. Number two is to be consistently good and just go back to the dance over and over again. Look at the Chiefs, right? Obviously a very good team, but they've been back in the playoffs every single year because they've continued to build that team the correct way and manage things. They're not going all in every year, trying to max out the roster for one shot. They're trying to build the team up over time and then be in the playoffs, winning playoff games every single year. And that's what they're doing. And that I think is the secret to winning a Super Bowl or just being really lucky, but it's really hard to predict when you're going to be lucky. I mean, look at 2016 for the Falcons, very lucky season, right? That would have been, that should have happened too. But like, you know, it, it don't, if you just look at Super Bowl wins, it's such a small sample size and it doesn't really capture everything else that goes into team building. So I think it's, I can like, you win playoff games is really what I would go to. I feel like that's a deeper conversation and a deeper <laughs> issue of just how 
just how cancerous ring culture has become just like in in modern day sports fandom of now it's all become oh if either you win a super bowl or it's or a suck. complete failure yeah. of a season <laughs> yeah. so for 31 teams every single year is just a complete failure of a season and I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know where that started. Like from what I hear from like older people, that wasn't always a thing back in the day. Um, and I mean, it wasn't a thing. I remember growing up, like people didn't completely judge everyone based on, oh, did you win a ring or not? So I don't know. I feel like that that's just a very deep seated societal issue within sports today of, oh, like either you won a Super Bowl, you, you either win a ring or you know, it's an abject, like I see Aaron Rodgers, like people calling his career a failure because he only won one ring. And it's like, what, what do you like? This is one of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, he is being judged as a failure because Tom Brady won more, like not everyone's Tom Brady. Like, it's just, yep. I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's yeah. just a very deep seated thing at this point. Plus, yeah. It's like, when were you supposed to win? Like if you go and break down every season, it's like, the, the teams that end up winning are usually the best team in the league. So like if you're constantly in the top 10, you know, you're having your, your team's good, but like, they're just not the best. It's not your fault. It's really hard to be the best team out of 32 teams. It, even well, if you do it, everything it reminds right. Me, <laughs> you remember like the Eagles, I don't know the exact years, but like with Andy Reid and stuff where they had McNabb and Westbrook, um, and like I think Fred Mitchell, they were really good. They were like always getting to the NFC Championship and stuff like that, but they couldn't get over that hump. But like they were still a good team. But also, even like in the NFL too, it's a lot more. I'm not saying that it's not based on skill, but it's a lot more based on chance than, for example, other mm-hmm. sports. Just because it's a one game elimination, like we see it with March Madness right now, like. The allure of it is one game elimination. Anyone can beat anyone else on any given day. And like for example, you see that pa- that Packers team in uh, twenty in the year after their Super Bowl was it the twenty eleven Packers where they went fifteen and one, and they get knocked out by the Giants uh, during Eli Manning's second magical run to win the title. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, all right, that just wasn't their day. If you Put it like if you look at how, for example, the NBA does it, you have to beat someone four times to advance. If those two teams played, for example, a, a three game series or a five game series, the Packers probably advance nine times out of 10. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's just another thing when it just comes to the sheer chance of the NFL of, like Kevin said, the ball bounces wrong one, like it bounces one way. Uh, you know, you have uh, an unfortunate penalty. Someone slips. Like, it's just something where it's just that one game. Are you describing the uh, 2012 NFC Championship game? Because you just said unfortunate penalty and somebody slipped. So. <laughs> oh, that was just a coincidence right there. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a Packers defender or an Aaron Rodgers defender by any means. I'm just using, uh, I'm just using that as an example. Um, but it's like... Like even uh, the Cowboys, like the Des Bryant penalty game where they beat the Packers. Like it's just that one moment in in a one game elimination where it's like everything could have gone your way that year. The Patriots 07, 16 and 0 season, everything went their way. They just ran into 
the David Tyree helmet catch. Yep. And all of a sudden is is their season now a complete failure because of that one moment. Yeah. And that's that's part of why football is so awesome and also why I think making the Super Bowl your your only gauge for if a team is good or not is a bad idea because this is not like you said hockey or basketball or whatever. The way those playoffs are set up, and it works for those sports a lot better because it's not as necessarily physically demanding as football, where playing like a three-game series in football would be brutal. Um, like you're going to generally get the best team winning most of the time when you play series like that. It doesn't always happen, but it's going to happen much more frequently that the best team is going to win the majority of those games. But the NFL is winner take all one and done like, and it's very high stakes and it creates some really crazy fun, you know, title runs and magical moments and all these things. It also doesn't always lead to the best team winning. Look at those giants teams. Perfect example. You can't make an argument with a straight face that those were the best teams in the NFL that year. They just weren't. So, um, it also has like such an outsized impact on legacies, right? Because you look at Eli Manning and how good is Eli Manning really? Like I would say that he was an above average NFL quarterback for a while, right? But he won two Super Bowls. Um, and so now he's a borderline Hall of Famer, potentially a Hall of Famer. And it's it's interesting how much we base on did you win you know, this big game or not. Like they, it, it's like the Flacco versus Ryan arguments that were raging for the longest time. And then Flacco won a ring, which Ryan didn't. And even though Ryan had the better career overall, like that's, that's the kind of thing better. that sticks out. In people's minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, so. It, it has such a downstream impact on everything in terms of how we talk about things in terms of how we think about how you build a team to get there, which is one of the big debates right now for the Falcons is it's, is, you know, I, I think it's too much. We, we do focus purely on like who won the ring. How did they get there? How do we replicate that when it, you know, these teams are winning with Eli Manning, Joe Flacco, Trent Dilfer, who is barely, barely an NFL quarterback. So, you know, it, it is about, you know, you can take a different road to get there. Um, and, and to Adnan's point, like, and Kevin's point, you know, the better you are every year, the better chance you give yourself of getting there, which is why I think the Falcons emulating the bills. It's interesting that they've said that a couple of times I've written about it a couple of times and people say, well, they haven't won anything. Well, they're in the playoffs every year, so they might, you know, at some point, yeah. maybe they get that bounce. So you got to give yourself the chance to get that bounce. And honestly, I think the shift started with the mainstream media. Like, yes, well, we, we had those like sports debates and sport and where it's like, you can't even like really want like the people debating or trying to more so play characters and actually give actual analysis. And it just became a thing where it's like, all right, to build this up, I'm, I need to put this other athlete down and to put him down or to put these legacies in question or to put these teams down what's the easiest possible way the cheapest way to do that oh they didn't win a ring oh so i i think that that has sort of poisoned sports culture uh in the last decade like it started seeping in in the 2000s and now it's just like full-on like 
you know, you get on Twitter and it's just a cesspool or any social media, it's just a cesspool of, oh, did he win a ring or did he not? But, you know, that's that's just a, a deeper issue that we've just gone on the tangent about at this point. My mistake, yeah. guys. No, no. I mean, it's it's a topic that I'm passionate about because I think it's it's something that just gets re- reduced to something that is too simple. Um, like, you know, when talking about the Bijan thing, this is a common thing. It's like, oh, well, those Titans teams never won a ring. Well, they got close several times. That blueprint clearly got them to the playoffs and winning the AFC South for years uh, and got them very close with what was ultimately like not a great quarterback situation, you know, not a star-studded cast of weapons either. And I would argue that the Falcons, you know, weapons are probably better than the Titans. You know, I think A.J. Brown, obviously great, and then Derrick Henry, obviously great. But, like, other than that, you know, they did not have stars at tight end. They did not have a Kyle Pitts. Uh, and, they, you know, as good as Derrick Henry is, like, Bijan could be better. I'm not saying that he will be. He could be. Um, so... There's more than one way to build a winner. The Falcons are clearly not going the what seems to be the in route right now, which is like spend big on quarterback and get as many wide receivers as you can and just throw the ball all around the yard in 11 personnel. That's like the the, you know, that's that's the trendy way to build your team right now and defenses have adjusted to it and we've seen those teams start to slow down. Offensive production was down last year. The Falcons are, are going in a different direction, trying to take things in a more old-school way with run game, lots of tight ends, forcing teams to play base defense when a lot of teams are spending big on getting their, their nickel into into where it needs to be and, like, cheaping out on their base package. Um, so, will it work? You know, I don't know. It, it definitely looked like it was working for the Titans. I think it could work in Atlanta. And if the Falcons are making sort of a concerted effort to not spend big at quarterback, at least right now, then this is probably the best way to do it. Like not overly relying on Desmond Ritter to be this elite quarterback and throwing it all over the yard, leaning more on the run game. And then hopefully using the assets that you don't have to spend on getting this elite quarterback to bolster the rest of the roster and get it up to a level that's going to result in more consistently good play, even though you lose the ceiling of that elite quarterback. So will it work? You know, we don't know. I can't answer that question. Um, I don't get paid the big bucks to actually build an NFL team, but if somebody wants me to hit me up, but uh, you know, we don't know. That's I think the plan at this point, I know we had questions about that too. Like the plan is that what I just said, they want to not, I think the plan is to not spend a bunch at quarterback, not spend a bunch at wide receiver, bring in a bunch of tight ends, get the run game to an elite level, and then use those resources that you could have spent bolstering the quarterback and the receiving group and try to maybe throw that at the defense to get that to a level that's at least like average to above average. And then hope that that's enough in the NFC. And it might be, (laughs) I mean, it, it would be, I think it would be a little bit of a different story if we were in the AFC where you have to beat Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen to get to the Super Bowl. Who do you have to get past in the NFC? I mean, well, Jalen Hurts, no slander intended, but I mean, in the yeah. NFC, but these quarterbacks suck in the NFC right yeah. now. Legitimate, like I don't think I've ever remembered uh, a greater discrepancy between, <laughs> between conferences <laughs> when it comes to quarterbacks. Like, legitimate, like when's the last time 
one conference has had quarterbacks that were so much better than the other one. Like right now, who is who's the best quarterback? Jalen Hurts, maybe you could you could make a case for. I wouldn't say he's a top three quarterback in the league. Uh, you know who? Maybe he'll get there. I mean, I don't know, but possibly. Um, I think he was definitely helped by the Eagles, like O line and game plan. Um, yeah. last season, just like Desmond Ritter could not, be. <laughs> yeah, I would not put him on the level of Burrow, Allen, Mahomes. Um. Who are, like if Lamar Jackson comes to the NFC, that's the best quarterback in the conference. Like I think, without a doubt. Um, yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the flip of, of you know with Lamar Jackson, which is why I, I do see both sides of this. Is like yeah. on one hand, the NFC doesn't have a ton of great quarterbacks. I don't know if that changes in the next one to two or three years. So Ritter might be perfectly fine if you build a great team around him, which I think is the course they're going to take, but. Again, if you trade for Lamar Jackson, you have the best quarterback in the entire conference. You know, so yes. it's it is a it's a question of team building philosophy. And I know people keep saying to me, like, why don't you want Lamar Jackson? I, it's not that I don't want Lamar Jackson. I would love to have Lamar Jackson, but I think realistically, given what the team has indicated to us, they're not going to. Maybe some other team in the NFC does, and then we get to see kind of you know, firsthand, head-to-head, which approach works out better. Yes. it's yeah. Everybody likes to reduce the argument to, well, so you you want Desmond Ritter over Lamar Jackson. And it's not, that's not the argument. The argument is Desmond Ritter plus two to three first-round picks and 35 to 50 million per year over the next five years versus Lamar Jackson. So... Yeah. It's not just like I would rather have Ritter than Lamar. And as one of Ritter's like biggest defenders, because I have to make my draft takes correct. Um, you know, it, I lo- I, I'm very interested to see what Ritter looks like. I think he could be an above average NFL starter, but like I'm not putting him on the same plane as Lamar Jackson. But the team has pretty clearly indicated by all of their maneuvering that they are taking the Ritter plus all these assets plus all this money approach versus Lamar Jackson. And maybe it changes. Maybe something changes or something breaks or whatever. And the team reverses course. It could happen. It just doesn't feel like that at this point. So. Yeah. I mean, we're living in a world where in the NFC, right. But just going back to the quarterback thing, just because it's so baffling to me, just how much of a discrepancy this has become. Like you have hurts, you have, Geno Smith maybe as a top five quarterback in the NFC. Rodgers, like Dak. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think the Falcons right. are very fortunate. They're very fortunate to be in the NFC right now because if you're in the AFC and you're not one of these five teams who currently employs Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert, or Trevor Lawrence, it's just it's incredibly difficult right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, yeah. Well, we could probably go on about that forever. So I do want to get to a couple more questions before we sign off real quick. Um, we did have one from George Costanza. What's up, George? She says, uh, thoughts on KJ Henry, the Clemson edge rusher, as a potential late day two, early day three pick? Yeah, I'm a fan of KJ Henry. I thought he did well at the Senior Bowl. Um, not not a dynamic pass rusher, but a, a very like reliable power rusher who's got some juice to his game, 
really good run defender, very technically sound. Not a not a high end like starter, but I think like the, he's like a five to eight sack guy maybe in a good situation. But he's going to be a really good run defender, so you can get you can play him a lot. And he's not like a, a negative as a pass rusher. Like he would be a big upgrade over Ogundiji as your base end. Um, so I do like KJ Henry if he's especially if it's early day three. I think it's probably going to be more like third round for him, which. At that point, I feel like the Falcons will probably have already taken their edge rusher if they're going to take one. But um, if it's like fourth round and he's still there, absolutely. Uh, that would be a great value, I think. Um, let's see. Yeah, and Shadowstar on the Discord asks, uh, thoughts on how Christian Gonzalez or Devon Witherspoon, depending on your preference, would transform our secondary? Yeah, yeah. Um, both I would I would consider those the, the two blue chip corners with like Joey Porter right behind them. Um Christian Gonzalez is that like prototype top corner, right? Six foot two, huge wingspan, elite athlete. I think he's like a nine nine seven or something RAS. Uh and his tape's pretty good. I mean he's he's definitely still growing, but um you know, it, it he's you can see the ceiling, right? blue chip type of player. Uh, and then Witherspoon is just the feisty one, right? He's the, the in your face attitude corner, more average size. I do think Witherspoon is uh, Oh yeah. No problem, Dave. Yeah. Dave had to take off guys. Uh, appreciate Dave for sticking around, but, um, yeah, no, it, it Oh yeah. It's Brandon Brass is shadow star. Hey, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, a. Uh, like, Witherspoon's the more pro-ready guy. He can step in from day one and probably be a good starter for you. He just doesn't have that, like, sky-high ceiling, but I still think he could potentially be a corner one. But if he only has to be the corner two in Atlanta, I think you're going to be really happy with him here, uh, him and A.J. Terrell. But me personally, I would still slightly lean Gonzalez just because the ceiling and also because he doesn't have to come in and be the top corner in Atlanta right away. He can, He has time. Um, but I think both of those guys are worth a top 10 pick. Uh, and, you know, I think either the team maybe moves on from Hayward or they move Hayward into the slot or just keep him as their top backup. Um, you know, I, I don't think the moves they've made, like, sort of diminish their chances of taking a corner at all at this point. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know if anybody else has, like, top corner takes or not, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm more in the Gonzalez camp, but I do think that that turns your secondary elite. Like, you will have three legitimately, hopefully, elite defenders. Uh, and A.J. Terrell, I, I'm slotting Gonzalez in just for just for the sake of the conversation, and Jesse Bates. And then your, your weakest players in the secondary are slot corner and... Richie Grant, where you're hoping that Richie Grant has that has that leap, and it'll be his year three, but it, for him it'll really be year two because last year was his default rookie season. Um, so and then you saw you have some depth with uh Casey Hayward back there as well. He's still on the team, but yeah, I think that the Falcons will have a legitimately elite secondary uh, right away next season. Yeah, I think that is they're much closer to having that than having the elite pass rush. So I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to go that route first and then continue to build the pass rush over time. 
and you work in tandem. I know some people are all like, oh, you build from the front back. Some people are all, you build from the back to front. The truth is you have to have both to have a great defense, but each one helps the other one. So if you have a great secondary, it can make a mediocre pass rush look good. Same thing. If you have a great pass rush, it can make a mediocre secondary look good. I don't really think one is better than the other. I think you can, there's plenty of analytics and stats that say one way or the other. So I think really it, you can you can do it either way, and I think the Falcons are closer to having that elite secondary. So that is probably why I'm. And I, you know, the other side of the coin is that the value at corner at eight is going to be a lot better. Like I would have Gonzalez and Witherspoon over Lucas Van Ness, Miles Murphy, any of those guys. You know, um, so that's why I also I would lean that direction. Um, and then one last question here uh, from Brandon Brass about. Uh, Ad, uh, Adamia, Adamia uh, I, I can never say the first name, but it's Ad, Adabare from, uh, from Northwestern in the second round. And the answer is absolutely yes. He's getting some first round hype, Brandon. So I, I, don't, I don't know how legit that is or what, but his workout has definitely put him on the radar of like a potential first round pick because of his testing just being outstanding. And he blew up the senior bowl too. I mean, he was awesome. Um, so yes, if, if Adebuare is there at 44, absolutely. I think he can fill that big end role for them. I think he can be a really good interior pass rusher that can play outside too, if needed. Um, and yeah, I, I love Adebuare. I, I would be in on him without question, uh, at 44. So really good player, great pre-draft process, perhaps even too good <laughs> for the Falcons to still have a shot at him at 44. But if Adebuare is not there, Another guy would be like uh, Tuli Tupulatu uh, from USC, who who's, didn't test at this at the combine, I don't think. But um, Tupulatu is sort of a similar player. He's played more on the interior, but also has played edge. Another big end type of guy. So that could be another potential option there. Um, yeah. Well, any any final takes, guys, uh, before we we wrap up? I know a lot of people had to to take off, but so it might just be you and I on not, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just you and I right now. Oh god, you um, got really quiet really fast, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh it is draft season. Uh and yeah, we're we're all in on it right now. Um yeah, by the way, uh I will probably be absent for the next couple Wednesday shows, but I will be back. I'm not going anywhere. Yes, yes. Yes, yeah, no, it's a uh, Adnan, we uh, appreciate you making time tonight. Uh, I know the the later show is tough over the next few few weeks for you, but we'll definitely have you back for the draft uh, and all of that good stuff, and then of course into the off season. But guys, he is Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Anything else you want to plug before we take off, Adnan? Uh, as usual, I will plug thealcoholic.com, uh, where great new content is going every single day. It is the best place on the internet for. Any Falcons fans, uh, I'm sure our lovely patrons can can attest. And uh, yeah, just your one-stop shop, alcoholic.com. We're hitting free agency, we're hitting the draft, and we will be hitting uh, the summer months as well, whatever news comes out. And before you know it, we'll be, well, we'll be credentialed to training camp again this year. I'm hoping to take a few days off, uh, off of work to go to more more training camp days to, you know, get even more coverage for. Yeah. Yeah, guys, we're, we're working on our plans for training camp already. 
uh, in terms of making sure to get as much coverage uh, for you as possible. So stay tuned on that. I appreciate Adnan's uh, fervor for getting there as well because uh, we need it. Like that that coverage, I think, is is terrific. And uh, it's obviously something that uh, you guys are really looking for. Uh, and I think it's really beneficial to set us up for the season and, and keep track of everything going on at Flowery Branch. So uh, definitely look for that, guys. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcohol Kevin, as you guys know. Thanks once again to all the patrons for your questions, for your support uh, every month. We really do appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and if you're listening uh, to this after the fact on podcast audio, leave that five-star review on your platform of choice. Really appreciate that, guys. Uh, and like and subscribe on YouTube. And also check out the uh, community Discord, which is in the show description. It's also in this little middle thing here. Uh, just put that link in. It'll get you right to the Discord where there's always a lot of conversation going on. I believe we're up over 500 members now. So shout out to everyone for uh, coming in there. So again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Q&A. Thanks again to the patrons. We'll see you next time. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll be back for the next episode of Falcoholic Live. Until then, 